Welcome to Ear Full of Dirt, bringing you the latest Major League Rugby news, views, and abuse. Now here are your hosts, Aaron, Dan, and Victor. And we're live. Welcome to the Earful of Dirt Major League Rugby podcast. We have an awesome guest here this evening. Uh, we're humbled for Martin Pengeli of The Guardian to join us. Uh, he is the U.S. Weekend Editor of The Guardian, mostly writes about U.S. politics and occasionally books, and even dabbles as what I would say is the highest profile U.S.-based rugby writer. How are you doing this evening, Martin? I'm good. Um I've borrowed an apartment, not a flat, to do this uh, podcast. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Uh, we're happy to have you. Um, so uh, we're going to head into the rundown, as we do. I think I forgot to go Facebook Live on that, but it is what it is. So uh, USAR uh, announced the International Rugby Saturday in partnership with AEG Rugby. Um, so I think we'll hit on that some. Uh, I am going. Um, I submitted for my credential, so if anyone gets accepted and I don't on this podcast, well, um, I guess you guys know who to call. But um, Corey returned from Vegas. A lot of our MLR players uh, were in against Germany. Uh, but really, we're gonna talk. We're just gonna banter about Autumn Internationals because there wasn't a lot of news besides. Martin's article that hit uh, this last week, so we'll talk about that. And now for some housekeeping. Um, next week we are off, uh, and then we will be back on, I think it's three shows. Uh, before Christmas we'll take a two-week break, uh, and then we'll do the math, and we might take a three-week break. But we will be back no later than the second week. Uh, yeah. Third week of January. And Corey. Yeah, guys. So um, just FYI, I'm going to hang back on this episode. Um, it was my understanding what happened in Vegas stayed in Vegas, but apparently that does not apply to uh, upper respiratory infections. So I'm a little under the weather. I'm going to uh, go ahead and give Martin my seat and uh, let you guys take it away. I'll uh, be back uh, in a little while for questions from Bob. All right. So I owe... Uh, Nola Gold, a correction after speaking with their general manager. So back in August, I broke on uh, our Facebook page and on our Twitter and then on our next show that Alex Tchaikovsky had signed with Nola Gold uh, based on a press release that hit from his agency that was then removed but still existed uh, if you go in the Wayback Machine. Uh, following the announcement from Nola Gold, I learned from general manager Ryan Fitzgerald that although the contract was on the table at the time, it was not completed and just until a few days ago, so probably about 10 days ago, uh, you know, uh, before it was announced. And uh, so uh, otherwise, <laughs> they would not have waited uh, two and a half months to uh, announce his signing. Nonetheless, Great signing, uh, probably on the last – he was probably on the last All-Army 15s team that got real money before they focused on sevens. Uh, going into Autumn Internationals, guys, uh, how many games did you watch this weekend? I watched all of them. <laughs> <laughs> all of them. All of them. That's like – uh, Don't ask me how many. I just don't watch all of them. 
Yeah. Yeah, it tells us another. Um, I have, well, I'll chip in. I have to confess to having caught up with all of them uh, and having watched live none of them because I have a young family and I wasn't in the office where I have an excuse to have a computer on for the rugby. So, uh, uh, I did not catch England. Um, I heard it was um, a great performance by Australia and Michael Cheka is now being investigated against because he, I, I don't know. It was something in the Telegraph, and they're definitely pro England. They are definitely pro England. Yeah, he swore a lot. Put it that way, mm-hmm. <laughs> which you're not supposed to do. Um, so the biggest one for me um, was the last ten minutes of Wales. Uh, <laughs> uh, let's just let's just say a draw was robbed by uh, you know a bunch of people that decided to have cramps. And uh, if, like I said to Martin in pre-show, if this were baseball in the United States, Warren Gatland would not be coaching the next game. It's a lot of hard work uh, warming up on the sideline. A lot of people get cramps that way. Um, I think, um, my opinion, it's, it's you have to be careful how you put it, but if the situation exists where a, a prop could have a genuine injury, that means they could come back on a genuine cramp or a genuine injury. It seems wrong. Uh, you know, the, in, with 10 minutes to go, your pack's being eaten on toast and you don't bring the prop back on, you go to uncontested. It's a great big problem area for rugby because if, let's say that Welsh prop did have terrible cramp and could not play, it still re- it ruined the game, I think. Um, it's a it's an unavoidable thing because it's all about safety, but it's, it's uh, you know, Best foot forward, it's a terrible situation for the game to be in. I, if, you know, rugby's about versatility, right? Um, and they brought on an extra hooker. So, like, their starting hooker came on to play prop. And yeah. I'm like, and then there was something about the, you know, the tight head just couldn't play loose head. And I'm just like, so what you just told me is a bad rugby player and shouldn't be on the Welsh national team. Like that's my opinion is an international prop should be able to adequately play the other side. I think safety standards have to be so stringent now in the front row. They really have to be the letter of the law about qualified to play the position that that is probably a line that will happen. You know, you can't, if if someone, if, if a scrum goes down and someone hurts, someone breaks the neck, someone does something terrible. And someone is someone in that front two sets of front rows is not in the correct position they should be, and then you've got legal problems. I think that's really what it is. It's a that's what I'm saying. It's this, it's this awful, impossible situation that can be abused. I think. I mean, I'm saying this because I'm English, but I think France abused it the other year against Wales. I don't they know both, if Wales did in the same game. They both did it. Yes, in the same game. I'm sure. I mean, most you know, <laughs> game, gamesmanship is part of rugby, and of course, it's done deliberately most of the time. A lot of the time. But there is this, this in this case, there's the safety angle. And it's going to be paramount from now on because World Rugby is incredibly safety conscious these days. Yeah, plus if you get into the situation where he really was genuinely injured and you forced him back on just because you didn't believe them, like there's yeah. only, unless you like actually sat them down and did a whole uh, doctor assessment when it's 81 minutes into the game, that really just kind of 
just ridiculous at that point. But you know, it's it's a whole. You have to just go with it, basically. But it is it is really unfortunate. Um, I was really confused when it was actually going on. I'm not really too familiar with all these really specific rules, but it felt kind of unfair that this situation would come up where um, I'm not going to say that that Wales was rewarded, but like like it, you shouldn't really, in my opinion, have a penalty go and help out the the team it went against in a certain way. If that makes sense. Though I know it all goes back to everything you were just saying that like so you know i always draw back to nfl for safety for god gosh knows what reason but i think the you know they've suffered all their things and i think rugby needs to stop throwing stones in a lot of cases because it's the same type of it's a collision um sport to an extent so um if a guy's injured why is he in uniform is my question um Go, if a guy's injured, he needs to be like legitimately injured. He needs to, you know, go put on street clothes and start getting work done. That's my opinion. I think that's that's um makes perfect sense. But it's the oldest thing in the book of playing with injuries, carrying injuries, so on and so forth. I can remember as a cult being having a dislocated elbow and coming back from it and having a support on for psychological reasons and not being allowed onto the pitch in a in a county cup game because I was. The Tasha says, if you're injured, you shouldn't be playing. Take the sport off. Huge argument on touchline. I took it off. I was fine. But it's like, it's a case of, you know, people do carry injuries. It's oh, everything I, I, to do with the, sort of the situation and the rules. Like even, you know, going back to football, guys will play injured for anything. Um, if it's guys will, and this is where the NFL, like, did a lot of bad stuff was, you know, cortisone shots into the back, you know, every week. And so rather than, you know, shutting guys down and I'm sure that happens in rugby. I'm sure like guys, you know, go in and see the doc and they get a shot in their knee and they get a shot in their back and they go play. No doubt. No doubt. This game also, um, kind of terrified me a bit because I know that next week USA actually has to play Georgia and I saw them hold themselves pretty well against a is Wales number six in the in the in world rugby standings I have the rankings up Wales are uh, seven yeah I was seven. gonna say seven or eight well a six well they're t- they're tier one so yeah so that's still kind of terrifying even though we we almost beat them last year I think we really should have beat them but we didn't um yeah yeah, it. I what you saw was a world class pack um, from Georgia. Uh, their backs, well, their backs didn't impress me over the summer either. So, um, well, you have to understand, guys. Uh, the backs. Oh, sorry, Aaron. You have to understand, guys, that the backs from Georgia, all of them play in Georgia. The thing is that yeah. The, the, the the thing is that professional clubs only want their forwards because I mean you know how good of skirmishers they are, but from pretty much from ten down to fifteen, most of those players play in in the local league, and if they get lucky, they play probably in Russia. I yeah. think the only player, the back player that plays professionally outside of Georgia, might be a Basil Lavonitsa, their scrum half that plays for briefing in the top fourteen. I don't think any other player 
plays think, uh, for, for there's, the there's, there's like a handful of backs in Pro D2, um, but it doesn't matter. I mean, they're, not, they're not starting. Like, they're not the ones that are called into, for, into you know, the Georgian camp all the time. Like, these guys are, you know, A, they're the outlier, and B, they're, I think they're older, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that could be. So, but anyways, moving on. Uh, Scotland, New Zealand. Uh, Another nail biter. I think. I think Twitter was reaction fine. was, "We did something. We did something." And then it was like, "They didn't. They still lost." But those jerseys were disgusting. They're terrible. It's a very, a very British thing. A very British thing to celebrate a glorious defeat. Um, and that was pretty glorious from Scotland. Uh, they are they they are genuinely hugely improved and they're very very good and I'm English and I can say that. Um, it's Gregor Townsend is a very good appointment as a coach. They've had Vern Cotter who was a very good coach to get them there. They've got young players coming through the system left, right, and centre. They've also um, got Americans playing for them. Tommy mm-hmm. Seymour. Tommy Seymour. Tommy Seymour. <laughs> His brother plays for the Chicago Lions. Really? Yeah. Well, okay, that's good to hear. England have got Sam Underhill, haven't they? He's an American, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they also, yeah he's from Ohio. Yeah. They, also had, they also had Alex Corbs back in the day. Corbs Zero. Well, you know, Ronan, um, yeah. Ireland had Ronan O'Gara. He was born Queens. in San Francisco. Um, um, anyway, my, my only point was this. I ah. thought the, the um, Scotland-New Zealand game, the, the Stuart Hogg break at the end, to me, was a wonderful... Uh, sporting moment because it looked for all the world like he was going to score try of the mm-hmm. millennia for Scotland. They would remember that forever and ever and ever. Amazing run, amazing player, Hog. Um, and then Bowden Barrett got across and got him. And it was, it was summed up in some, some, some of the things about why I love rugby so much. It was such drama and it was cut off short, but it was a great bit of defence. And it was so close so far. And the Scots can, you know, they can genuinely still celebrate only having lost by five at home to New Zealand because it's 112 years since they first played them and they've never been them. So, mm-hmm. you know, I thought it was, it was, it was outstanding, outstanding effort from the Scots. And I'm, you know, I'm quite worried about England going to Murrayfield there in the Six Nations. Mm-hmm. I will tell you this though. I will tell you this though, guys, I know of a great venue down in Chicago where Scotland can play against New Zealand where they can win. <laughs> <laughs> we'll welcome them back if they come. We'll, we'll um, welcome them back. Make another weekend. Another well, you know. So, at this juncture, I mean, I used to. I would say I used to be a Welsh fan. Team, I fought love with the the great defense, horrible offense, and now I'm just. I don't like it at all. Um, <laughs> and uh, so. But uh, for Scotland, I think they're going to – this last year in Six Nations was not really that good for them compared to the previous year. But I think, I think we've got something, you know, with their Pro 14 franchises, uh, you know, playing decently. I think there's, there's something going on. There is. I mean, Greg Townsend, the coach, he – you see what he did at Glasgow. He had a dramatic effect there. Um, he's now in charge of Scotland. If you, you look, just look at him, his like his career as a player from '97 Lions through. He's clever. 
Gregor Townsend is a clever guy and he knows he's committed to attacking rugby. His teams play it like he did. That combined with the young some young staff players they've got coming through. There's there's something going on in Scotland. Then um we've got uh, this is a game I didn't watch and I, I need to because uh it's it was close. It was uh, Ireland Fiji and then Fiji put out this this back line that might as well be a second pack. Mm-hmm. That was a really fun game. I was actually I was wondering, do you think the I don't think this really has much of an effect on it, but do you think the, the Fijian Drua in the NRC has any help with that, at least for the subs for some of the team? I don't know who actually played. I may be just pulling this out of my ass, but does that do you think that helps them in this case at all? At oh least my. in this game? Helps build the player base. Definitely. Mm-hmm. I think long term, but I don't know if it actually had any effect on this actual particular match. It sounded like it was, once the subs came in, that's when it really kind of switched over. Well, I think it was mostly European pros. I'd have to go and double check myself on that. But yeah. you know, Fiji have always got a team they can put together, and if they get a semi-decent front five in the in the scrum, then they're going to test anybody. Yeah. It's usually mm-hmm. the case with the island teams. If they can hold their own up front, then they're in. And Ireland picked, you know, not a second team, but they sort of jumbled it around a bit, like Wales did against Georgia. Wales had a lot of young players in there. Yeah. And if you do that against uh, the Pacific Island teams, they can catch you cold. I don't think Samoa will do that to England on the weekend because Samoa are in a bit of a mess at the moment. But um, uh, an understatement. Yeah. Uh-huh. That was a good yeah. match. Yeah. Fiji yeah. Can um, and if you guys caught the, the, the Samoa-Romania game... I, I did not, but it's on Facebook. I know that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I won't. I won't spoil the, the score, so because I want well, to watch I, it. I I've seen the score. Um, ah, okay. Well, seventeen to thirteen. Then I, I I don't really. If I'm going to watch the game, I know some people uh, really care about spoilers. I'm not really one of those. Um, is what it is. I watch like eight other I, games. I think. Yeah, I check. It's okay. It's like I check Twitter. And it's going to be spoiled anyway, so I either have to like do my own media blackout and like not talk to anyone, or you know just not care and just watch the game, which is, I mean, that is what it is. There. Um, That's what I did this weekend. I tried to do that um, for for Jets games before, and it didn't work out very well. I found out that <laughs> immediately. <laughs> So I don't know what to tell you, bro. So I watched, um, I watched a bit of Namibia Uruguay. Um, before oh, don't tell the, me that one. Uh, Uruguay won um, by six. Yeah, you told me to tell me. Oh, you told me not to. I thought you said tell you. Jeez. So yeah, um, <laughs> that's cool. I was surprised at the, the scoreline. I thought, um, based on just things, Colt like culturally and whatnot, and a huge influence of Afrikaners on Namibia's side, I would have expected a different score, to be honest. But it says a lot about, um, you know, the centralized system they have going down in Montevideo, which I thought was going to be similar to um, Germany-USA. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I thought Germany would be a lot more of that game that we thought would be easy, and it wouldn't be the case, and we'd somehow, like, lose it, but that... Scoreline clearly didn't really. Uh, yeah, I think follow up on that. Was, I was very um, happy for, obviously. 
before we before we head into the U.S., because I mean Martin and I had some nice banter about that. But um, so Canada versus Spain, uh, that was that one quickly turn around because it was seventeen, uh, yeah, seventeen three at one point. It went to seventeen. No, it was seventeen three at one point when I was watching. Ah, at one point. I'm sorry, that yeah, was halftime. Seventeen yeah. seventeen. Yes. Yeah. So it looks like Spain. Um, it. It looked like Spain had the fitness um, in the first like twenty five minutes, um, and I like was watching three games, so I don't really know. I think like what was the, I can't really say what the turning point was. Like I can say what the turning point was for the Germany USA match, but all of a sudden, you know, they they score a try, and it's you know, it's ten seventeen, right? Like it it was a momentum shift like no other, and then. I'm looking at uh, looking at the scoreline, and right when I'm trying to turn the USA match on, it's 17-17, and then I check the scoreline afterwards, and it's like, I guess, Viva Canada. Well, it's good. You're really looking at the same, a very similar, if not the same pattern as the Germany-USA game, aren't you? Because the Canada team is going to have more pros of various levels on it than the Spain team. So you're going to get the first half, Spain strong, second half, Canada stronger in this sense. I think it's the same thing, that similar thing, same pattern that happened in the Germany-USA game, where the USA team basically had more full-time pros in it, so they came stronger later. I think I also yeah. heard that Spain was the only t- Tier 2 country that has a domestic coach. I don't know if that's 100% true, but all the other countries... No, that, that's, that is true. Um, Victor confirms. Thank you. They uh, Germany in I mean not Germany but Spain uh, for this squad. I don't I mean I think uh, Canada has more like first division pros, mm-hmm. but Spain has like ten dudes that are pro D two. Mm-hmm. The thing with Spain is that most of their players playing in in pro D two. I think they may have one or two guys in top fourteen, but they probably aren't they, starting. Uh, uh, do, uh, well, if we talk about the guys in Pro D2, yeah, not all of them. Because many the thing is that Spain is very interesting. Um, they have their, their domestic guys that played in the División de Honor, which is the, the, the first division. So you got 12 teams, and most of the players that make up the, the domestic Spanish team usually come from three clubs. You got um, Alcobendas, uh, you got um, BRAC, which is Valladolid Rugby Club, and El Salvador. So between to, those three teams, to, uh, that's our domestic side. To interject on, on Victor uh, before he continues, because he, he is our Hispanic rugby scouts. So South America, Spain. And Spain. Like, South America and Spain, he's got everything. So um, he knows what's up. I got you, bro. Um, but yeah. Uh, A bit about Colombia, but not too much. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I know enough. But, 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 but in any case, going back to my point, so they, they pick up from those three, th- three clubs, and then whenever they have these internationals, they call up what they're called Los Franceses, the French, which are the, the, the these French-born players of Spanish descent. Many of their families migrated to France during the Spanish Civil War and during the reign of um, Francisco Franco as dictator of Spain. 
So you're going to have a lot of these French guys come uh, that don't make it in the French national team and they start playing in Spain. For example, their main fly half is, is a French dude, and I don't even think he speaks Spanish, for one. Um, so sort of like how Argentina used to be when they had all of those, um, you know, Italian Argentinians that went back to Italy to play professionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, back, yeah, back in those days. That's right. That's exactly right. That's, Italy used to be like that. Mostly a lot of Argentinians uh, playing the Italian team because that was the, the, tier, the tier one entry. But once Argentina became a little better after 2007 to stop going to Italy and decided to remain in their home country. Speaking of uh, Italy, what's actually happening with that country? Are they... They lost again, didn't they? Uh, so yeah, they, yeah. They, they play Argentina actually, and they lost thirty-one to fifteen. Yeah, that wasn't. They. Um, it was competitive. Yeah, it was bad. Number fourteen, rank right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, thirteen or fourteen. I think so. Fourteen or thirteen. And remember, yes. being tier one is not all about your play on the field. In the, in that's, that's, yeah. that's for that's for Georgia for all of the people saying that they need to play, um, they need to be into the Six Nations. Um, uh, I think that's the reason why they're not going in because no one wants to give them three votes on the World Rugby Council. Well, it's also and it's mm. also it's also economic because you can sell fan packages to Rome for the weekend and everyone wants to do it, but fan packages to Tbilisi would be harder to sell. Mm. Harder yeah. or non-existent. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, going. Actually, yeah, I never, I, you probably lose it in a number of ways, but that's you know, that is part of it too. I used to think Georgia was like right next to Romania. I was like, I don't get what the issue is. It's not that far. And I looked at a map and it's like, <laughs> on, the, on the other side of Turkey. Yeah. So I think, oh, that's like that's like closer to Japan at that point. So I kind of understood it a bit better than <laughs> that juncture. Uh, <laughs> but uh, need to be uh, given, Georgia, Georgia needs to be given more than one. They've deserved. They've earned. They deserve more than one tier one game a year. Well, in- I, mean, I, I, agree. I so, don't know what the politics are, but England should pull their finger out and play them for a start. So. You know, mm-hmm. it, I mean, I'd love for. I think England would sell better here than, to be honest, Ireland. But not. They wouldn't pull as much as uh, you know the All Blacks, but. Um, you know, England doesn't want to play us after the Saxons beat us in the Churchill Cup by like seventy or whatever it was. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, the Churchill Cup, you know, that served its purpose, didn't it? That was a um, a developmental thing that ran for what ten years, some of it, different uh, different iterations. Okay. It yeah. served its purpose, and um, there, England is supposedly now into the one. Uh, tier two game every autumn at Samoa this this weekend coming. I don't know if the memorandum of understanding thing still happens because England were like they semi adopted Canada and USA. It's how the Churchill Cup came about. Yeah, it was their duty to help uh, Canada and USA as it were. That sense, the biggest thing with uh, with tier two countries is that I mean, if you follow Rugby Canada at all, I mean, I think USA rugby is messed up. Um, I'm the, the leading um, drum beater on that one in this podcast. But um, Rugby Canada's worst. Like, way worse. Like, ugh. you know. Um, 
Yeah, I also worse had off. a bad misconception about Rugby Canada, and I thought that they were run much better, and I found out that that was not the case. It's <laughs> just like another thing that I really think I need to think before I actually just assume think, things. What the, as far as I can tell, uh, from five, year, five years of writing and, um, and also talking to people like uh, Canadian writers like Pat Johnston at the Vancouver Sun Herald and so on, who know a lot more than me about Rugby Canada and about almost every American rugby person I've ever met who knows more than me about the union, uh, the USA rugby, is both these bodies, and the same in other countries, they're, they're the amateur union still, really. Yeah. It's the, same, it's the same structure. It's still the amateur union, and it's a pro game. and it's, pro, it's not pro here, but it's pro everywhere else. And to catch up, you need to have variations of pro. And yeah. it is a, it's a mm. version of the mess that was in Britain, in England, mm in 1995, 96, 97, when it went pro. Because the amateur union was there, the RFU was an amateur body, and the, club, the clubs all went pro. It's a different version of the same situation. You need, I think USA Rugby probably needs to change to, uh, to get a hold on things. But of course, the game is changing at the same time. It's a very difficult situation. So it changed a little bit in uh, 2006 uh, when Nigel got hired. Um, but that was like the worst decision. Um, and probably the worst, I mean, I feel like when he was a player, he had a shiv with him because <laughs> in some, in some respects he has a, as a scrum half, he was, depending on who you speak with, he was dirty. So <laughs> he was, he was my, uh, he was my coach, my coach when I was 19. Oh, wow. That's, <laughs> that's impressive. And he, uh, he wasn't dirty. <laughs> well, good to know. He was nice he had, to me when I, I broke my I dislocated my elbow in many places and he was nice to me then. So Well that's good. But um he I don't know. My opinion is out there. You can find it. But uh, <laughs> um, there should be a lot of English uh rugby fans who have similar opinions about Melville that you do on that. Oh <laughs> Especially the women. The women rugby players do not like him at all. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, that one. Oh well, that. Let's let's move on. on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, let's so let's get into so. I scat. Let's get into USA versus Germany. Um, Martin and I had a a good banter for like probably fifteen minutes late at night, and uh, you know I had just uh, scouted uh. When, when Matt had published the piece, I had just scouted Germany and did a two-hour – yeah, this is where it gets really weird. <laughs> I did a two-hour piece with Tosan Touche Tanway from viralrugby.com, and we basically broke down our roster position by position and then sub by sub about how we thought we would go. And I, to be honest, so I always look at things through a betting line – and there was no data for Germany, and there was no data for the U.S., so you couldn't – there was no line. <laughs> so I couldn't really, you know, use – I couldn't really use betting data at all to try and get an idea of where we would be. And, you know, our circumstances being what they were did not set us up to do what we did to an extent. And, you know, Germany did what they wanted to do, and then we started not giving up the ball. Yeah, I mean, I hinted at it earlier, the, the, the back and forth we had, the banter, as we're calling it. Um, I had no data on Germany either. I had 
extrapolation based on what I've read, which just happens quite a lot, an extrapolation based on world ranking position and relative strength of the US squad, as we just mentioned in terms of the Canada game, uh, in terms of number of pros there, number of first choices, you know, the, the strength of the, of the American pack. And I think what, what I thought would happen essentially happened, as we just said, about Canada and Spain and the USA and Germany. Germany came out strong. The USA started slow, which Matt McCarthy pointed out in the podcast. It's new coach, not together very long, so on and so on. Um, second half, as you say, USA didn't give up the ball. They sorted themselves out. They kept it fairly tight and fairly simple. And they were just physically stronger than the German team. I mean, it was, it was visible in some of the body shapes out there. The German team looked like a team with a lot of part-timers in it, really. And the American team, there are not that many what you call part-timers. And even the ones who play here and aren't full-time pro are definitely, you say, semi-pro. So, I, you know, it, 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 folded, it unfolded as pretty much as I thought it would. And I thought it was a, a good result for the USA to get in that way. They'd, they'd be upset that they started slowly and were behind for a lot of the first half, but you know, they won, they scored 46. So good job. All right. I agree. It was definitely a good match. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Obviously the scoreline is part of the reason why I enjoyed it so much, but they, I expected it to be a lot slower for the U S for longer than it was, but um, I think they came back relatively quickly given the fact that they usually start slowly. And I thought this would also just be one of those matches where they would overlook the opponent and then it really bites them. Um, but I don't think that happened. And there was a lot of uh, good rugby, especially the second half before the 67th minute when we couldn't watch it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> sort of, it seemed, if I look back at it, it sort of seemed like our last game, like we our last game out, which was against Canada. And, you know, under Mitchell, we tended to start relatively slow and then play, you know, high flying rugby. So the question was at what point do like, at what point do we start playing high flying rugby and have we limited the other team enough so that we can go put our 40 on will we win? And well, the turning point seemed to be right at the end of the first half with Blaine Scully's try that put us up. Uh, you know, 11 to 10 going into the half. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say it was. I was thinking, um, I thought in terms of, when, when I went to the Red Bull in June to see the Ireland game, I can remember talk, I took a bunch of friends from here, from this co-op actually, sort of introduced them to rugby, showed them the game. And talking to them beforehand, I was thinking, well, the US are going to struggle in the front row and they're going to struggle in defense out wide against a pro attack. And they did because that's the kind of weak areas that get exposed when less professional teams play professional teams. That's uh, what happened to Germany. It's what didn't happen to the US against Germany. And one of those things is going to happen to them against Georgia. Their front row is going to be a key point. It's going to be under massive pressure. Defense out wide, less sure. So, it's, there's, there are certain areas of um, you know, those key areas are something fairly key, the front row and defence, where difference, uh, just simple different experience will change things in rugby particularly, and particularly in the, in the front row. And in this game, the 
the Eagles pack did well. They, you know, they, they took a bit of a hammer to start and they came back. They were very impressive and they built the foundation for the win. Georgia in Tbilisi will be a whole different kettle of fish, I think. Yeah, on the scrum and it's uh, at Loosehead, we got, I think Khalifi got tested uh, pretty much from the very beginning. Uh, Dino uh, on at Tighthead really didn't. I mean, so I don't really know uh, how much uh, and maybe he, the fact that he really didn't get tested shows how, how much, how further he's gone with London Scottish. Um, I hope, I hope that's the case. Um, but, uh, and you saw when Patty Ryan came out and also later in the game before Patty, I mean, Patty Ryan went in to uh, play for Dino Waldron uh, Tony Lamborn had to switch from the open side to the blind side and back up Khalifi for most of the scrums that ended up happening before Khalifi came out. And that's him. I look at our, our flankers right now. I, I see, uh, you know, Tony Lamborn as like we got, I mean, Ben Landry is a, a behemoth something different uh, with being, you know, a minor 10 and former super rugby player. Yeah. I mean, def- definitely Lamborn is, is key to it. Um, I think uh, it's, it was just, I mean, you know, Khal- yeah, Khalifi struggles a bit against Germany. He'll struggle more against Georgia. It's really, most of rugby comes down through the front row. And it's the biggest problem for, for lower teams playing higher teams, tier two to tier one, tier one, tier two to, to tier three. You know, you don't have a platform, you've got a problem. They had to move, as you say, to, to, to shore it up on Saturday. It shows they dealt with it. And they'll have to come up with a way to try and avoid the Georgian scrum into Blue Sea, whether it's pretending that all their props have got cramp or something else. <laughs> to, uh, you know, you just have to, you just have to, have to have to market and strengths. And in, in the case of USA against Germany, they had ways to deal with the problem. They could deal with it, and they had you know Landry at six is is a big lad. Peterson and Civetta are big. They put had Duratolo in it at eight, which probably took away a bit of the uh, size. You probably see Manoa on in Tbilisi and so on. they've got size in the back five of the scrum, but in the front row, it's just always a problem for the Eagles because they're not top level pros there, and the Georgians have got top level pros there who are the size of like three Joseph Stalins across each of them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I've just, I've managed to mention Stalin in this podcast. I, I was, Hitler and I, I was <laughs> definitely going to, I was like, when we were talking about where Georgia was, I was like, Hey, did you know that, you know, somebody was, you know, a premier of, <laughs> of the Soviet union was came from the Caucasus mountains in Georgia. <laughs> yeah. There you go. But um, yeah, uh, so so looking ahead to Georgia, I think, and this is where uh, you know we had a chance uh, to beat Georgia this last summer. Um, we didn't really match up well with them up front, and then we ended up, you know, being able to turn the ball over and with their backs, and then just punish their backs, and it ended up being close for a moment. I thought, like, I thought they were going to put forty on us uh, back during in June. But uh, I think for this, if we can get we can get relative parity at the set piece, our backs are 
a lot more talented and a lot more physical than theirs are, that we can keep a close game if not steal this one. But I don't know what our front row is going to be like. Uh, they just called in Dylan Fawcett from Old Blue. Um, he's nicknamed The Butcher. I don't really know if that's because he makes good sandwiches or because he just wrecks. I know he wrecks people on the field, but I, there was something about mustard and, and something I, I read. I don't, I don't know. But I remember there was an so interview I, that someone did to him when he was playing for Ohio Aviators as to why they call him the busher. I think it goes back when he was in South Africa, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So I could go and ask Marty Veal. He's in the next co-op up and go wake him up. But, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. So, <laughs> I don't know why it's called that. So I wonder, like, who, because USAR doesn't, like, give us any information about anything, so we can't really talk, like, prep it, like, push it, and, you know, promote it and all its fun stuff. But I wonder, is Fawcett coming in because Joe is injured or Joe has been recalled to Wooster? But I will point out that Wooster won this weekend, so I don't know why he would be, uh, be called, recalled unless that was the plan. Like, apparently Manoa was limited to Georgia. You never know um, what, what pro clubs are going to ask for in that sense. Um, yeah, and that's what I would want to see is um, Joe at one, uh, Peter Malcolm at two, and uh, Dina Waldron at three, and then inputting um, Patty Ryan at the 40-minute to split time with uh, Dina Waldron because it's just we're going to need to use everybody. Um And then I wanted to see more of Mungaloa last week because he's fit. But he was only in for about 10 minutes. So. Well, it's going to be a full, a full set of replacements job against Georgia in Tbilisi, put it that way. I think if we're doing predictions, I think uh, Georgia win by 10, probably. There you go. That's based on the same, the same, the same set of extrapolations as before with uh, as for the Germany game, with a little bit more visual evidence. I think uh, that 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 front five um, disparity will tell, like it did back in the summer when they played. I think that's extremely fair, and you might be discounting Georgia a little bit if they're able to keep the ball uh, with their forwards, because if they get it, if they try to go out wide, they just can't compete with uh, you know. Bryce Campbell's six foot three. Lane Scully's six and four. Uh, Marcel Brocky is six foot one, and they're all, you know, um, as thick as a tree. So, yeah. Well, I'll say ten. We can we can have we can exchange on Twitter afterwards. I, I think that's fair. I, I really, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm I'm as uncomfortable as someone could be. Uh, when it comes to this game, I am, I'm uncomfortable. Well, it's, it's a difficult, you know, it's, it's no one's going to find it easy in Tbilisi these days. And it's five world ranking places between them. And that, there's a reason for that. So, you know, an, a, an Eagles win would be a bloody good job. So it's not, it's not out of the question they do it. And if they do it, that's fantastic. But it's just a case of being realistic on it. Really, it's the way It's the way it is with Georgia's steady rise up the rankings. I said before, but I felt a lot more comfortable before watching that Wales match. That really kind of put a damper on my weekend. Even though it was very, it was a lot of fun to watch, but um, because we almost beat them 
And I think that we should have had different players in for the summer match that we could have won. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think we have really much of a chance at winning at this point. I think 10's fair, but I think they'll get more than that. 10's a good betting number. You know, under. I have money to bet, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> I said positive whatever, guys. So uh, I, I'm always cheering for the boys. So hopefully the Eagles will win. All right. Yeah, definitely. Uh, go Eagles. Uh, want them to win every time. So, oh, last last That's word right. on on uh, Eagles against Germany. So our boys stayed at uh, U.S. Army Garrison Wiesbaden in the Clay. Yeah, Clay Kaserne, which Kaserne is the German word for barracks, if anyone wants to know. And uh, they trained at the gym. Um, on post and, you know, interacted with tons of soldiers and families throughout the week. And, and the, uh, the USMW uh, Family Morale, Welfare, and Recreation Director for U.S. Army Garrison Wiesbaden uh, said that uh, the boys made a lot of fans out of people that just got uh, introduced to rugby, uh, the Garrison MWR sponsored like bought 500 tickets and I think they had over 450 picked up. So, um, that's, that's where all the USA chance were coming. I was wondering where they, they all came from, but I guess that makes sense. Cause there's a lot of military out there, but I, I really love that. It was a, a ton of us fans watching it. I think for the first time in that case, oh, that was great. Yeah. by the way, guys, I'm checking out the place where they had the game, which was the Brita arena. Uh, that's where uh, SV Vincenhen Wiesbaden, which is a third league uh, soccer team plays. And apparently they had a total of 3,150 people in the match, which is not too shabby. I thought it was going to be yeah, a lot less. I mean, so Hess isn't, uh, Hess isn't Bavaria. Hess has about eight clubs. Uh, the most famous happens to be the silver medalist winning club from Nike. The Olympics in 1900 <laughs> is 1880 Frankfurt. But the most, I guess, the biggest uh, rugby province in Germany or state rather is Bavaria. And there are 30 clubs in Bavaria. So just, I mean, for a place that has eight clubs, they, you know, 3,100 3, fans is pretty good. You know? Mm-hmm. Also, I was really surprised, guys. I don't know if you noticed in the crowd where, where you had the people cheering for USA, the huge amount of Black Brothers on the crowd. I was really surprised about that. <laughs> Didn't notice. Didn't notice that. Mm-hmm. Maybe because I'm brown. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, guys. It's okay. Probably because I'm brown. That's why I noticed. But dang, I saw a lot of black guys. I was like, yo, there's a lot of black people here. My military families, I'm guessing. I mean, don't get me wrong. I was happy. I was really happy, especially in Germany. with A bunch of black people. It was great. You know, that's a middle figure to Hitler. So that's cool with me. <laughs> Talking about Hitler again. Um, again, yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. So, yeah. Ex- Exporting free. Yeah. Wikipedia says that um, I think that rugby may have stopped also because a lot of the players actually died in the war. So I think that may have been also the case other than Hitler not liking English things and <laughs> changing a lot of English things. But that's probably yeah. not reason. I was kind of extrapolating the top again. of head. Yeah. Yeah, because soccer, players, soccer players definitely don't fight in uh, the traditional sense. 
<laughs> yeah, because Hickler really it really killed the, the the rugby team after he came into power. Yeah. So, um, moving on, uh, Martin, the the true uh, uh, why I asked you on here because I didn't know when this was, and then you're like, it's going up overnight. Mm. Uh, so, if you haven't checked it out, guys, uh, we'll link it down below tomorrow and uh, put in the description, or actually I think I'll pin it in a comment, is Martin Pengelly's article on Major League Rugby, because I guess enough people back home were, and he, uh, he did some digging, so um, tell us about what you've put together so far. Um, well, what I've put together so far is, uh, you know, I, st- I wrote my first piece on Rugby in America in, I think, February 2013, and since then... I've written a number of pieces about a number of projects to make rugby big in America. And some um, online commenters on the Guardian website have noticed this and give me shit every time I do it because <laughs> it's a new project. They quite rightly say, why don't we get proper Pro 14 coverage? And I sometimes tell them that's not my decision, that's the desk. Anyway. Uh, I live in America. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> It's a, it's a it's a it's a cousin to the rugby league thing I mentioned on rugby wrap up last week. Which the word league in major league rugby is bringing freaks up again. People out. freaks people out because except that you know the pro for pro whatever was the Celtic league, league. and then I guess uh, Aviva's well name like ten names ago was something league. Courage leagues, yeah. Courage leagues when it started. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, this piece I engage with them first engage with MLR back in the summer not long after it was announced with the Mike Ford news and Phil Cam and in Dallas um pardon me I uh have been watching it since um to be perfectly honest as I've said a million times on rugby wrap-up my date my day job is as a news editor during the week and full editor at the weekend of the Guardian US so most of my time in over the past few months has been dealt with chasing Donald Trump's tail. Uh, so my gaze had moved away from US rugby for a bit. But the CBS deal, the announcement of the CBS deal really focused my mind and it focused the mind of editors at home. There was what's going on. We've heard about NBC, the premiership. They've got the Six Nations rights. Now CBS have bought this league. We've, uh, one editor in London said to me, we thought, what, we thought it was pro-rugby, which obviously I had engage with because I know Steve Lewis very well who was director of rugby for that and I know Doug and so on. So it was it seemed like it was time just to try and explain what MLR was and part of the, the process for that was for me to talk to as many people as I could who could tell me what it was because I was coming at it fairly new as well. So I spoke to a selection of people. Um, I didn't speak to all the teams. I've spoken to two teams since the piece went up because they've made touch with me through um, through the New York people. Um, <coughs> pardon me. It's it's a fascinating situation. It's a fluid situation. It's currently um, seven teams. They yep. say they're going to nine. <coughs> okay. Again, um, I would imagine that by the end of the first season, or shortly after the end of the first season, there might be fewer than seven teams. Again, I mean, that's not based on any sort of Woodward and Bernstein depth of investigative journalism, but it's based on what I've been talking to people about, talking to some uh, people behind the teams. It's still an uncertain situation, but as far as 
the planning and the realism of MLR goes, it's a new order that I can see. This is a new order of what makes sense, what's sensible to do, what could be done. And there's, there's very dynamic uh, teams that have done a lot of work already and are doing it and are showing it, like Houston. Uh, others are quieter, like New Orleans. Um, others are starting to get a bit noisier, like Seattle. Who are one of the teams I didn't really, I didn't manage to speak to for the piece, but I've since had a long conversation with one of their key guys, so I've learned a lot about what's going Adrian on. Adrian or the other guy? Adrian. Yeah. Um, you know, it's uh, he's a smart dude too. Yeah. Um, it's it's fascinating. It's going to be fascinating to see what happens as April comes closer, and then when the sanctioning for pro stops, one would presume nobody's told me for sure, but one would presume that the sanction will just go to MLR, and it'll be on. Uh, I mean, so not really to go back to pro, because I think we visited a lot. So the sanctioning group was supposed to stop, and he was supposed to have a season in 2018, or it was going to stop. But I understand that he filed a lawsuit last year um, in the state of Colorado, and the state of Colorado told him to, A, get bent um <laughs> um there is yeah there has been like La- that but latin <laughs> you <laughs> you have not like been damaged yet but um when this thing ends you may refile yeah so at supposedly he will refile um in in April, and then we're going to have this showdown of him trying to bend the union over, and then hopefully all these people that were, you know, monetarily wounded, um, testify, and you know we just it gets called the dud. Well, I had, and you know we move on. I had the shortest uh, conversation in this case by email with Doug Schoeninger I've ever had for this piece. Normally, normally you have a long conversation because Doug talks a lot. Um, in this case, it was here's a statement. That's it. So you know, powder being kept dry, obviously. Um, your summation of it makes sense to me. Yeah. All I know is um, everything I've been told about the guy and everything I've found says that uh, he had the money to make it go regard, ir- without regard to whether the, the reunion was entertaining talks from the Pro 12 at the time, which they weren't. They were – you know, every every time that there was, you know, a comment, it was from Bob Latham. And Bob Latham is no longer a member of the USA Rugby Board. He is a member of the World Rugby Council and a member of the RAND Board. But he's not, I mean, yeah, they, we talk all the time because he represents us, you know, for at, up at RAND and up at you know, the World Rugby Council, but he's not, you know, a member of the union. So he can say what he wants. Yeah. <coughs> so, <coughs> pardon me. <coughs> it's, um, well, you know, as you just said, April, right? April's the month. April's the cruelest month to uh, quote T.S. Eliot. Um, it's going to happen. And it, yeah. it, it will unfold. So the piece that I wrote for The Guardian uh, this week, just gone, had to sort of hint at a couple of things. There are also 
treacherous new Guardian online word length limits, which are supposed to be around 1,000 or you get told off. <laughs> so, the whole point of online is you can go longer than print. Yeah, That's but readers don't. Thought. Readers don't. Lose interest. So, yeah. yeah, readers don't. No. Um, I can even look at the back office for the piece now and tell you that uh, this piece did well for The Guardian and it got most readers spent 42% of the time it is reckoned you need to read it on the page. This is irrelevant to our discussion. <laughs> it does well, I mean, it's sort of good to know about uh, our possible readership. That's well, some junk. <laughs> thousand, thousand one hundred words. The Guardian thinks it would take you a minute to read it uh, if you just sat and read it. And 42% of a minute is, what, less than 30 seconds. <laughs> Quite a few people didn't, that, didn't read the whole thing. Not that fast. I will say that in the past couple of days after that came out, there were a lot of British fans that came over on our Reddit page and sort of yeah. started asking questions. I'm assuming that this is a very big reason because they came over and like, what is this? This is the first I've ever heard of this. I think league. I think we oh. added, we definitely added like 100, 100 subscribers. Yeah. It's, it's, Thank you very much. Pleasure. It's a case of the stuff, my stuff that I write, um, tends to read pretty good like the only big the only big audiences i've had like big big strikingly large readerships have been for pieces involving the all blacks being here in various forms like if richie mccall's in new york or the chicago the whole chicago thing like that. but in terms of average readership it's a strong readership for american rugby because i mean strong is, is a relative term but it's stronger than a lot of other stuff we do here because there is this this European British interest in what's happening here, and no knowledge over there of what's of what American rugby is like. So, the few things I do usually get well read. The Phaedra Knight interview two week, two three weeks ago got twenty thousand readers in a day, which is great. Yeah. Awesome, yeah, it was it was great to. I felt that a Phaedra's earned it to to stay in that kind of form for. Uh, you know, two decades is insane. I felt that as, you know, an American rugby fan and, you know, I, I've met Phaedra. She's awesome. So I, I felt as an American rugby fan blindsided, not because, you know, you just, there was no nominations process. It's not like, you know, the NFL or Baseball Hall of Fame where you know who's nominated, you know who's eligible. And then there's all sorts of, you know, public relations campaigns for that. We couldn't you know, give her her due, yeah. um, you know, well, as this American great. It's not the same, it's not the same scale. It's not the same cultural position as um, the major, the baseball hall of fame, for example. It really, it's the hall of fame in rugby is a thing that's been developing. I think it, the first iteration of the world rugby hall of fame happened when I was a young uh, rugby journalist in sort of 2001, two in London. And it's sort of gone through different phases since then. The Phaedra Knight thing, um, I just contacted the desk at home for that one and said, "This you have, you know, you need an interview with with Phaedra. Her story is extraordinary, and she's in New York. I can get her into a cafe in a, in te, in ten minutes if you want." Um, and they were like, "That sounds amazing. Who is this person?" Yeah, write about it because they didn't they didn't know. I think you know, there's, there's, there's a feature features editor in, in on the sports desk in London who's a, a rugby nut, and she she knew who Phaedra Knight was, but no one. None of the editors knew who she was. 
and other British papers wrote versions of the same story once she was there being inducted. But it's not it's it's not a big you're saying there's no campaigning, there's no eligibility. I mean eligibility is you're good and you're retired. It's not it's it's a internal um appointments process. It's not a big moment on the calendar in, in Britain. We didn't even like, about it. it's not, yeah, I mean, we didn't hear about it. we're in the same club. She's, I'm, I'm from New York. She's mm. New York. We didn't even hear much about it there. No, you wouldn't. It's, it's very, it's, it's like a, well, it's world rugby run, so it's like a sort of echo of, of old days rugby. Really, it's just like sort of bestowed, and it's a great, great, it's a wonderful thing, and hopefully it will get more of a place as it goes. And it's fantastic that they put Phaedra Knight and Al Sharon in this year. That was really great. Hey, they got to go to Monte Carlo. Come on. That was oh. that was a big thing. Like, I've never been to Monte Carlo. Well, they also got to go to rugby in the Midlands, which is, um, you know, not the most scenic place in the world. The school is, but the town is. North Dakota? Well, the the first sort of rep side, the Wyverns, in 1985, played some great rugby uh, representing American women. Uh when they were on their tour back in back in the day. That's a great story in, in and of itself is the, the 1985 Laverne tour. But um, yeah, back to this. Phaedra's, Phaedra's awesome. I just, you know, um, this last summer, the, uh, the U.S. Uh, Rugby <coughs> Hall of Fame had their dinner and it was sort of like a big thing, but still like niche mm-hmm. because um, some amazing try aren't covering this at all. That's you know a function of rugby's place in various countries. I mean, I, I think the you know the, the Hall of Fame is in the place where nominally rugby was invented, and not many British people have heard of it really. So, various Hall of Fames have got a long way to go before their uh, huge, huge events. Um, so, for, just pulling back to the actual article that you wrote, um, I know mm-hmm. I mentioned this before. Um, in the pre-show, but you you had that nice little comment about the New York club and a potential very well-known um, Irish gentleman yes. that had a very high-profile event. Mentioned in your article, by the way. Just mentioned for the yeah. first time ever. Yeah. Um, but, but since you're you're in New York, um, I think you might have your ear to the ground pretty well for the most part. What, what have you heard about this uh, rugby club New York and what's going on up here? Also, well, it's some. It's uh, Steve Lewis is directly involved, who yep. was pro rugby director of rugby. Nearly, nearly killed himself with a year of work for that, but has yeah, that experience I, behind him. He's um, also Northeast Academy. So he's also a, a, he's a contact, a friend of mine. I've known, I've known him for three, four years here through Old Blue. Um, it's looking. It's, a, it's, in the, it's in the same scale in, in most senses it's in the same scale or the same um, approach as MLR as a whole it's looking to be realistic, it's looking to work with Old Blue, Nyack and New York not to um, favour, you know, fear or favour over anyone and to start small, they've got ideas good ideas for Gaelic Park um, they have a uh, the man behind it is James Kennedy the construction guy who is very confirmed speculation. It was confirmed on his website, unless there's some other. <laughs> <laughs> I 
he sent he sent he sent Nishan onto Rugby Wrap Up, and everyone knows where Nishan works. So it's it's. it's <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, I mean, so if you send an email, if you send an email, you go to the website. It goes to jkennedy at rugbyclubnewyork.com. Yeah. It's James. I mean, James is James is a good guy. He's a he's a fascinating guy. I've got I've got to know him a little bit. Um, you know the, it's got a bit of the um, they're trying to they're trying to mix the sensible, um, start small, start with what you can do, angle with some of the sort of New York cultural stuff. So hence Gaelic Park being talked about with all various there's various politics to get them in there. Um, Although not totally the GAA politics you'd think, because also Manhattan College has a long lease on there to use it. So uh, it's not a done deal, yes, as I understand, but they're working on it, and it would be a good starting place for it. They sold me on... Um, I don't think this is off the record for any reason. They, they're, they're talking about... I don't know whether it's going to happen. They're talking about put, um, putting on an exhibition game next year against a Boston team with the NYPD playing the firefighters beforehand. That's that a big game too. That's yeah, a, which, um, uh, what someone in the office explained it to me is um, NYPD, the cops against the firefighters is, there's, 30, yeah. there's 15 cops, there's 15 firefighters, there's a ball there somewhere, but <laughs> it doesn't really matter. <laughs> it's have you... Departed. Have you been the to the... Gangs of New York. Yeah. Have you been to the... Uh, this is a. They have a. They have a football game. Mm. I haven't been to. Have you been to that? I've read. A, I've read up on it. I haven't been to it. I've seen. I would love to go to that. Yeah, I um, think the rugby match would be great too. Yeah, New York is. Um, you know, I I prefer this. I mean, I, I'm biased. Um, the the talk of a rugby league team at Red Bull strikes me as insane. Um, but I'm a union person, so I'd say that. But I think. You know, the Major League New York guys are thinking the same way. They're thinking, we're not going to just throw money down the toilet at Red Bull. We're going to try and knit into the New York rugby community, which is pretty strong and has some cash and fill in, fill small small stadiums first. And I'm wondering again, where, they could, where they could fit in after um, after Gaelic Park, because you'd assume that, that when they wouldn't want to make that a, a permanent home. It could fit, well, I think, 2000 Fordham, or so. There's Fordham, yeah. which would, would be a step, a small step up. Yeah. And then... Uh, what's the place on Long Island where the Cosmos play? I think the Cosmos play at MCU. Um, oh, you're talking about yeah, MCU Park, but that's in um, like, that, that's right here in Brooklyn. Right, um, there's a there's a university stadium out there, which is oh, good Hofstra. Hofstra, there you go. I was doing, yeah, I knew it was Hofstra. Yeah, he said so. He said on Rugby Wrap Up ages ago, in discussions with three stadiums, looking to finalize the deal on one of them. I was like, that's that's paraphrasing, but that's that's what he said. And I was like, three stadiums. Well, what? Three, three, you know, you say a stadium. I mean, Gaelic Park is a stadium, right? It's bleachers on one side, subway tracks on the other, but it's a stadium. I mean, the Columbia soccer soccer field where Old Blue play is a stadium. It's got bleachers down one side, yeah, and it's a good it's a good good spot for rugby. I mean, the whole MLR thing is to start realistic. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes sense. I mean, I would really, I would really love to see, I think I've mentioned this before, um, if they actually end up building their own stadium that only has to fit 
you know, maybe up to 10,000 people, if they can actually build that way before NYCFC can actually get even close to building their stadium, because that's been going on forever. I think I would just love to see like stadiums being built, but (coughs) it's not for the team that you think it is. That's backed by, you know, multi-billion dollar franchises. It's the, uh, the rugby side. It's the, um, yeah, I've heard some talk about the NYCFC stadium being made rugby ready. It's just talk. Nice. It's like you know, the new. It's the way thing people people think of how to make ma- mon- maximum money out of stadiums. The new uh, Tottenham Hotspur's new stadium in London is being made NFL ready. Yeah. So yeah. Sure matches are gonna, nice. NFL matches. So you, so you don't there. just have to play, you know, at, at Twix and. Well, they have to screw up the Twickenham pitch. Yeah, go and screw up the Tottenham pitch instead. Well, uh, <laughs> we rugby we tend to screw up uh, these. Uh, these soccer pitches too. Um, yeah. Maybe these maybe these soccer heads should not mow their grasses close. Well, I, that's a whole. I could give you a whole podcast on the how rugby is not as good as it used to be because the grass is too short and the shirts aren't cotton. But <laughs> well, up we, we don't really. <laughs> I mean, for the most part, we don't. I don't know like what kind of grass you're talking about. Like for at least for us, I tend to. I'm used to playing on football field grass, which is not short. Well, go and watch um, 80s uh, Five Nations videos on YouTube and see the, the thickness of the grass like that. Oh, so it's like, when, um, it's like when USC goes to play Notre Dame and just grow the grass so that all their running backs are slow. I, I, I'll say yes. I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll say yes. American <laughs> colleges. it's college football yeah i know college football football is a a foreign country to me so you know i I spoke with we'll have mark bullock the director (laughs) of rugby for glendale in a couple weeks uh i think we locked down the sixth um if it moves i'll let everyone know but he they're attempting to build a sustainable project and, you know, we talked about possible, like, maybe one of the teams doesn't exist next year, but they still add two. So, um, you know, we're looking at arrows, probably Rugby Club New York. But the math in our, in our heads, based on our sources, was that it was, it's going to be four or five. And you're telling us Dean House is saying this. So, you know, we'll say, we'll, we'll cut it down the middle, say two and a half. Dean Howe said to me two. Um, New York, we New York, we knew anyway because they'd gone on rugby wrap up and said so. Uh, and another one, which was kept off record to me, so I won't tell you which one it is. But then I, um, you know, I did my reading to Ontario, and I spoke to Phil Camp, who told me what he told me in the piece that Dallas hoped to be in next year. Um. I don't, know. I don't. These things. These things are fluid. I don't. I know that. So I, I, I could see. So Chicago, based on what we know, and our sources are trusted on this. Uh, Chicago and Kansas City paid all their bonds. So maybe it's a cool project. is pretty ambitious, and it's Chicago. So I'm guessing, um, you know, building permits are going to be a pain and getting the what the project that they want to build up in you know 18 months is still is really ambitious i don't know anything about casey's physical 
plant upgrades. They don't really seem to have one out, but Chicago's has been a part of their strategic plan for a while. And they have an endowment that has taken a long time to build, but has significant cash in there. So Kansas, Kansas city also this, Obviously, you shouldn't be taken fully seriously, but Kansas City also responded to someone on Facebook saying, no, we'll be ready for year two. Yeah, I mean that happened. Yeah, that's not mm-hmm. obviously you know, set in stone, but it's on Facebook, so it has to be kind of true, you know, a little bit yeah. at least. One of, the, like one of the things I like to do, Martin, is because we're tracking, we track, we ch- at this point, we don't just talk rumors. We make sure we have multiple sources that we can relatively trust before we can discuss it. Um, when we were just playing with the Reddit board uh, back in you know June before we had the discussion about the podcast, we would comment on whatever. But um, I, I have an LLC tracker that uh, so I, I when there's a rumor coming up, I look at the state and see if there's a new rugby related LLC that pops up. And, you know, there was one in San Diego about the time, uh, you know, it was rumored to us that Minneapolis was done and San Diego was the new Minneapolis. And you know what? Uh, There's a uh, San Diego team. So, yeah. uh, So that's one of the things we do is we we try really hard to get our facts relevant relatively correct and if they're wrong um we're more than willing to issue a correction we love wild rumors though we love <laughs> we, well. I, we chase those like investigative reporting via you know crowdsourcing intelligence is well you chase yeah you chase the wild you chase a wild rumor until you turn it into a fact or an untruth thing that's that's investigative reporting for you so okay. We're the real egg chasers. <laughs> um, so, um, any more questions about uh, what Martin has found, guys? Personally, no. But not I really a question. That... But I. Okay, go ahead, Dan. No, I'm saying personally, no. Uh, it's pretty much that. I mean, you can you can go on, Victor. We 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 do this a lot. No, I was gonna. Yeah, seriously. Now, it's not really a question, but I was just surprised when I was reading uh, your article, Martin, the fact that um, uh, apparently Rugby Club New York also has connections with legendary wrestler uh, John Lakefield, also known as JBL, mm-hmm. that caught me off guard. I was not expecting mm-hmm. that at all. Uh, his, they tell me, New York tell me his position isn't uh, decided because nobody's is, but he is in for the project. He told me that in, the, in an email as well. Talking about definite yeah. facts, um, yeah. The uh, and as I, I think we said in pre-show, the um, the Conor McGregor lines were couched with potential and possible uh, because calls with uh, Mr. McGregor have taken place, but nothing is. Definite. I can tell you that. Interesting. So, John Layfield, cool dude. I love what he's done down in uh, you know Bermuda. Bermuda. Um, especially this last summer, we had the uh, was it um, the Empire Selects U twenty three side versus the Texas Rugby U twenty three Selects uh, as a mm-hmm. they say the the curtain raiser um, uh, moniker 
if you want to use that in American rugby, you are not going to get people to attend curtain raisers. You, you get people to attend double headers. Double headers. Okay, double headers. So if it's if you if people are going to call whatever the matches before, um, you know whatever the senior match is, no one's going to show up. Like um, I, they seem to call the the All Americans match against Oxford a curtain raiser, and rather than saying USA Rugby double like USA Rugby and AEG Rugby presents a double header, and saying it like that, which is what they're doing for uh, the ARC in the International Rugby Saturday, they're calling it a doubleheader, which I, that's an Americanism. Sounds better. You yeah. said it sounds like two same level games going on back to back. Like, like I go to a doubleheader for the Mets. I get to see two MLB games. That's awesome. It's yeah, different. you're right. Yeah, you're right. I would definitely, I'd agree with that one. Definitely. But, um, a while back, <laughs> a while back. So this was like before last year's NDS, I think Doug was trying to salvage something. And he was down in Bermuda talking to John Layfield about something I don't know. It was like John was like, oh, we talked with Pro Rugby USA the past couple of days about uh, the future. And then, uh, well, there was no future. So. Oh, well. So um, I think uh, it's time for... New Orleans to make some noise. What do you guys think? For the, we think that's good. For the players they just signed? Is that what you're referring to? You mean like the stable of players they signed? Yeah. I think they. That too. It's a lot. I think they're about set with their. Uh, I think actually most of the teams, except for um, Utah, San Diego, which obviously just got created and then glendale which hasn't technically announced anyone but they seem to be the most far ahead anyway so i'm not really concerned but everyone else seems to have at least a starting 15 ready to row ready to roll yeah Yeah, so um do you want to hear some nola noise martin nola noise Uh, yeah i've um i think i'm supposed to speak to nola people on whenever it is i'm back at work GM Ryan Fitzgerald, great dude. Um, talk to him often. Their head coach, Nate Osborne, another great dude. Talk to him often. They're good people. Uh, definitely love what they're building um, down there. Uh, so let's just get on to it. So this one, guys, was kind of interesting. Um, I don't know how, how you – pronounce this name i i failed and didn't even look it up but william legas pack uh, has signed with new orleans gold he is uh just 19 man uh he played last year out of uh university of louisiana lafayette and was selected as a uh, u19 player for the general americans that played uh, a can-am series and uh, you know, it's interesting signing. Uh, I would I can't really make it similar to the my Houston signing of Kieran Farmer because like Kieran Farmer has played rugby forever. So, but so Will uh, he's only played rugby for three years. He's entering his fourth year of rugby, and he's just a massive young man. 
Uh, he's 6'6", 275. Uh, I guess uh, Victor found some stuff on him at Jesuit. He played a little fly half. That's right. Uh, half at Lafayette. He was selected as a second row. Um, <laughs> his, uh, the position he'll play for uh, New Orleans is lock after I uh, spoke with Nate Osborne about him. Uh, he'll slide into four, but I think after a couple of years, uh, Nate really thinks he can be a six, sort of in the mold of, you know, Ben Landry. Like as we've seen him, his role evolve with the Eagles, he went from, you know, a pretty big four to this uh, bowling ball of a, uh, or wrecking ball rather, of a six. Um, New Orleans Gold got a great look at him during the Aspen Rugger Fest when he transferred. Uh, traveled up with Nor FC 10s. Um, he's a very talented runner, uh, but he's he's raw and he's young, uh, you know, in age and in rugby age as well. Like I said, he's entering his fourth year of playing rugby. Um, the uh, Seattle Seawolves have signed Rickert Hedding uh, of the now defunct Ohio Aviators. He's played three years with Columbus RFC and is a monster on the pitch. Uh, here's some cool stats. Um, Columbus RFC has been very good at inputting the statistics of their players over the past couple of years. In 39 games in the Midwestern Rugby Premiership, which has the Chicago Lions and, uh, you know, many, uh, Metropolis RFC in it, he had 250 total points, 42 tries, 14 conversions, and four penalty kicks. And Curry Hitchborn says he is just a monster. Uh, when, you, when you try to look up what he did in the Bulls system, you find out that there's like 10 Haddings that came through at like the same time in the 10-year period, and they're not all related. But he was... <laughs> He was definitely a big piece of their academy sides. And then, you know, came, uh, I would say, to the U.S. on the hopes of being a pro here. And, uh, you know, left behind his Curry Cup and Super Rugby dreams. But uh, I think he'll be able to, uh, I think he'll be able to play professional rugby again. Dan, I'll flow to you. Uh, I'm really happy to have... Rickard, by the way, I had no idea he was 23. I thought he was like 31 and just came over here because he could no longer play, but he's also freaking huge. Um, so seeing that he was actually 23 and has a lot to grow is actually really awesome. Um, so that's great. Uh, but another actually uh, South African, we have uh, Vince Joba who actually signed with the Nola Gold, so another signing for them. Um, as I like to put it, he's a beast of a man. He's also really big, really well-built. Um, a lot of his highlights have him just running through players. He played for a couple of academy systems over there in uh, South Africa uh, for the Lions Academy, Curry Cup player with the Western Province, Falcons, Cheetahs, and Kings. So he definitely has at least a lot of experience in at least some pretty good setups over there. I'm um, so glad to have another um, foreign-born player come back over here. Who's actually He was with the Austin Blacks most recently. I'm yeah. not mistaken. He played so last year. A bit of a steal. Played last, played last year with the Blacks, and I think he had he went back to South Africa and played with the Cheetahs because he looks 
a bit different. Yeah. He looks <laughs> he looks cut up right now, so like, he's ready to go. Yeah. So that was actually a pretty nice steal because I know Austin has basically been taking all the Huns and Blacks players. So it's kind of cool to see them go somewhere else from there. Um, speaking of Austin, actually, they signed David LaMasters, who I didn't know anything about. He's actually only 19 years old, um, which is also, as I like to say, awesome a lot. Um, just someone with a, a lot of potential for the future. Um, a hooker from out there. He played originally from San Diego. Um, he has a twin brother, Sean. Um, they both played rugby um, from, from San Diego out there. And he actually wants to become um, a Texas uh, Ranger, I think he said. And like not the baseball player, but like the like the state trooper uh, for Texas. I think that's what his goal was um, eventually. But apparently his work rate is is really high for, for a player of his age. Um, when the eyes of a ranger are upon you. I have no idea what you're saying right now, but what? <laughs> Hello, um, Martin. Um, have you seen Walker, Texas Ranger? Uh, no. no you, you need to go onto your Netflix or whatever you need to do and go watch Chuck Norris play a Texas Ranger. It's pretty fun. I promise I will do that. Just one episode. Not <laughs> saying you know get hooked, but you might get hooked if you like crime in Texas. Part of my and cops. Part of my ongoing life, uh, education in life in America. Put it that way. So anyways, going on to my players. My first player of the night is going to be Mr. Sack Strifler? Strifflerd? Hopefully that's pronounced correctly. Correct me if I'm wrong. But in any case, um, he is being signed to the New Orleans Gold Rugby Club. And so definitely Ohio a native, he learned his uh, rugby, interesting enough, uh, on a trip uh, to Australia with his high school team. And then he played sevens for quite a couple of tournaments. Now, during his college years, he played for Washington and Jefferson College, uh, WJ uh, College. Uh, he's currently playing with Columbus RFC and 1823 Rugby. Uh, he's also known for his time with the Ohio Aviators from pro rugby uh, he played mostly a uh, flanker actually although he was signed as a center a uh, good thing to see obviously the keepers of the fortress down in obex coming down uh, to new orleans to sort of recreate it to a certain extent until there's an ohio <coughs> team to speak of and moving from that, um, also, and I guess our final signing of the night is going to be mr c aosi final who's been signed to uh, Austin Elite. Uh, Finau is actually a Texas, a Texas um, native coming from Ulysses, I believe it's around Ulysses, Texas. Uh, he started playing rugby at the age of 19 with the Ulysses Texans club, and then with both San Angelo State University and Arkansas State University, so he played for both. Uh, Ulysses, by the way, the town itself is actually famous for its large population of Tongans. I believe the town with the largest population of Tongans in the country. Uh, so obviously like for now. And interesting enough, uh, their high school team dominates uh, American football. But it's good to have some, obviously, of the guys uh, within rugby. Uh, just to tell you a couple of his stats. Um, he's 25 years old. He's six feet uh, or so, uh, about 1.82 meters. I was mentioning the meters because I know we have some people overseas. Um, he's 245 pounds. 
right here. It, what, what was that, Dan? We have one overseas person right here. I think the meters helps you oh, a bit more too. Well, I think. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I well, he, he doesn't really count. He, li <laughs> he, he lives in, in Hudson Gardens, like well, rather by Washington I, Heights. I, I think really Martin count. might count weight in stone. I do. I do feet, inches, and stone. Yeah. That's right. Oh, that's right. There we go. Exactly. So, hey, just remember, that, that, that's, just remember, guys. One system got us to the moon, and one system, well, it crashed a satellite on Mars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank you. He's also about to weigh 111 kilos as well. So, so yeah, so those are my signings. And by the way, real quick, um, before I, we change uh, the subject, um, when I posted on Instagram, and of course, follow us, you're full of dirt on Instagram. Uh, when I posted the news regarding uh, Riker Haddon been, been signed to... Um, Excuse me, it's been signed to um, the, 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 Seahawks, the Seawolves, Seahawks, Seawolves, excuse me. Um, he, I actually tat him on the on the fin, uh, on the post, and I put his uh, weight wrong, and he actually sent me a message telling me, hey, I'm actually 238 pounds, and I was actually not with Shalombo, his brother, so I got corrected on that, and he was really cool, we got a brief conversation. We have him down for an interview one of these days. Hopefully, we need once we get um, a Curry, we'll get um, a Riker as well. Yeah, really Victor, Victor mixes Tiger and Adamus. Bad news. Yes, which that's like oil and water. I've been told, so I have learned not to mix them up. Um, we're gonna move but yeah, quick. But yeah, shout out to him. We're gonna move quick here. We're gonna do. I'm gonna give the same cats red score. Dan's gonna give the tweet of the week. Um, and then we've got questions for Martin from the fan base. Uh, the Sabercats hosted the Dallas Reds. Uh, the score was 31 to 24. Uh, haven't really got the uh, nickel or dime version of the recap. It was tied 17-17 at the halfway mark. And then the Sabercats opened it up and following that, the uh, the Reds were able to uh, put on another try and conversion. Just just things to remember. Uh, Dallas has won a an award multiple years. I think uh, at least last year they were the largest composite club in the country. From you, they won that award from USA Rugby. So they've definitely got athletes around. And their new director of rugby is Darren Morris, the uh, former Welsh player and Lion. So just, you know, they've got a qualified professional leading their program. Um, and Dan, to the Tweet of the Week. Yep. So the Tweet of the Week also actually has to do with not this scrimmage, but the one that happened last week. Um, this is from Chris Millage, who is, um, goes by Chris Millie on, uh, on Twitter. Um, this is about, let's see, uh, first game with the boys tomorrow, hand clap. Actually, it was going like this. I'm not sure if there's a hand clap. Uh, first 15s game in nine months since the ankle robot head uh, ready to shake off the rust tomorrow rugby ball tiger emoji um, hashtag Houston Houston hashtag Sabercats hashtag meow so that's what we have from uh, Chris Millage for the Houston Sabercats um, I'm a big fan of this hashtag meow business we have going on here I like it a lot I think that that should be the uh, you know the war cry going forward um, well, that's the tweet of the week. And now on to questions from Bob, who I think we, if I'm not mistaken, we have uh, someone coming back from his slumber. 
Hey guys. <clears throat> yeah, thanks so much for covering for me. I'll uh, see if I can get through these questions before my voice gives out again. <clears throat> again, Martin, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we did throw out a question to our uh, onto our subreddit. Um, that's reddit.com slash r slash ml rugby. And uh, we got a few responses back. So here's a couple couple for you and then one for me as well. I'll uh, pitch that to you last. So first up, um, friend of the show, Cardiff RCM, who uh, regularly contributes questions, <clears throat> wants to know, and <clears throat> if I were a lawyer in court right now, I'd call this a leading question, but uh, I'll go ahead and read it <laughs> verbatim as he presents it. So he says, do you, Martin, believe uh, USA Rugby's inability to produce a revenue-raising and coherent international program is the single greatest factor holding back the development of the game in the U.S. No. <laughs> uh, the single greatest. Um, it's a factor. It's a big factor. Um, I think uh, it's not the only thing holding back. Rugby in the US. Rugby in the US is in a position where um, a number of things have to happen at the same time or following on from each other to make it professionalize rugby in the US and make it make it uh, happen with the league. MLR could be one thing of that. A start for that, it's a small start as we've been saying. USA Rugby presumably are going to come on board with it afterwards and that might be the path through um, if USA Rugby were capable of such a revenue-raising um, operation, I'm not sure how long it would take to do. It would still be a long-term thing, I think. I mean, that's a, short, a long way of me saying I don't put all the problems and woes on USA Rugby. And that may be because I'm from the outside. And it may be because Nigel Melville was my coach. Who knows? All right. That's fair. We appreciate your thoughts on that. Guys, uh, anybody else have any thoughts on that particular um, topic? I, it's a problem that uh, could have been addressed with the right partner, but uh, that still wouldn't... Like Martin says, uh, there's uh, a lot more that uh, factor into this. Fantastic. Well, moving right along. Uh, second question from Cardiff RCM. He would like to know, what's your opinion on the apparent ambivalence of the USA Rugby to um, junior international programs? Uh, and he states, there is sufficient <laughs> talent in the U20 levels this year for the AAs to win the JWT. Uh, I don't know if anybody knows what those things mean, but junior world trophy. Yeah, okay. So, um, yeah, uh, speaking about our lower ranks there, what do you think? I think it's probably the same question. I mean, there's talent and there is putting it into a team or a squad that can compete with uh, squads and teams from other countries where there's perhaps more centralization, which is easier to do in other countries because they're smaller or because the rugby unions are culturally stronger in terms of having more money or more clout. Um, I don't think anything I've ever done would suggest that people I've spoken to USA Rugby are ambivalent about junior development. I think it's a case of uh, working with not very many powerful tools, as it were, to put things together. 
And guys, any other thoughts? Yes. Hmm. Basically, um, what what Martin's saying. I mean, we also um, don't have the same kind of foundation that countries like England or New Zealand have to really, you know, put a huge emphasis on the uh, younger players here. And we also are a very spread out country with not too many rugby players, and that makes it a lot very you know very difficult to actually get people together. So it's like two cents. Until the player that is uh, other than an Eagle select or a men's Eagle sevens player and a men's Eagles 15s player and a women's Eagle sevens until that person isn't hit with an invoice um, with their congratulations letter. Uh, you know, it's a rich kid's game and you'll never get the best of the best if it's only a rich kid's game. All right. And the last question from Bob, uh, by way of Munster CR 37, who may may not be me. I was curious, uh, what you could tell us about Gary gold. Uh, obviously he's our new, uh, national Eagles head coach. And, uh, he's been flying his trade as a coach over in the UK for quite a while now. So thought maybe you could fill us in a little. Well, yeah, he, uh, spent a long time at London Irish, was uh, involved there. London Irish are a team that basically um, usually have bumped around the bottom half of the Premiership with some, some spikes. Um, from there, he went to South Africa and was an assistant in uh, the team that beat the Lions, I think, in 13. No, not 13, 9. Sorry, 2009. Um He's a forwards coach, so he's worked with South Africa. He's worked with the Springbok forwards, so he certainly knows what to do uh, in an area which the Eagles need to work on. He also came back to the Premiership, worked at Newcastle, very nearly saved Newcastle from relegation one year, which was uh, a bit of a job because Newcastle until this season have been pretty awful most of the time. Then he went to Bath. He was in, he was working in the Bath setup, they have a, they have a rich uh, benefactor, Bruce Craig, who was working in that setup. It was going very well, Bath was doing very well, and he left. He was basically, as far as I know from secondhand reading, squeezed out uh, in a situation in which Mike Ford was there as well. Uh, and he went to Worcester, and last season did a turnaround on Worcester again. Worcester were terrible, they usually aren't very good. Turned them around. Uh, pulled them away from Bristol at the bottom of the table. And then this year, it hasn't gone quite so well at Worcester, but they've just won, uh, started to win a game or two. So he's a he's a experienced coach. He's a highly thought-of coach, and he's done a lot of tough jobs in club rugby, as well as with the Springbok prestige job. But in, in terms of the English club game, he's done Irish, Newcastle, and Worcester, which is where you're working with fewer resources than the big teams and you're scrapping at the bottom. So, you know, in a, as everything we've been talking about in this podcast about the difficulties of coaching in America, he he doesn't, he's not unfamiliar with difficult situations. So I think he's, he's it's a promising appointment. He's also shown, shown at Bath and with the Springboks that he can coach, he coaches winning teams too. He, uh, he likes to wear Lacoste uh, button downs, as you say. <laughs> Um, and he uh, buttons them about halfway, based on what I saw from this weekend. I should so, um, uh, 
I should probably not say this, but he reminds me, in a visual sense, he reminds me of Ben, the chief of staff from Veep, with his uh, his Bubba fat boy mug of coffee. So, uh, Fantastic. That's a, bad, that's a badge of honor, as far as I'm concerned. If he, if, if he sees this, I really mean that as a compliment. So, um, yeah, I, I like his resume, and I like his coaching tree. And, you know, that's, that's one of the things that we need we we're tremendously lacking technical coaches in this country uh, at, at a quantity that can allow us to grow the game effectively. And well, I guess he has like some weird, funny badge from world rugby. He's like the, one of the few, I guess, honorary IRB level five coaches, or maybe that was after reorganization, which is now level four. That's that was something the boys at Red, White, and Black Eye digged out somewhere. He's a highly, he's a highly experienced coach. He's getting someone who has been around the top of the game for must be 15, 20 years. Yeah. So it's, 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 you know, it's a promising point. You have to see how, how he knits in and how everything goes with him. But, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a impressive, it's a decent appointment and his, um, South Africa experience, particularly, is something to look at. It was an assistant, but he was an assistant on a good South Africa team with good players, and it worked for him. There you are. All right. Well, thank you so much again, Martin. I really appreciate it. Dan, right. I think you've got uh, at least one little bit of news for us, real quick, on yeah. our way out. So, we usually have uh, some views, news, and abuse, but we um, don't seem to have too much views <laughs> and abuse. Um, some news though: Houston SaberCats single game tickets just went on sale. Um, they're playing their preseason at uh, Constellation Field, home of the Sugarland uh, Skeeters, uh, minor league baseball team down there. Um, that is a temporary setup until they actually build their full stadium. But um, just looking at the uh, the Uruguay game coming up against uh, Houston, um, I found tickets for like twenty five dollars that were on the first or third baseline. So it's basically, you know, around midfield. And that's, I, I think most people would look around that area. Um, so this seemed like a pretty decent price for a game that's going to be, um, I would hope, pretty exciting. Um, it would also be very interesting to compare Houston's performance against Uruguay and then the Eagles' performance against them about a month later in the ARC. Um, so that's just a direct comparison we can have right there. Um, but that's all we have from that. I don't know if anyone has any final thoughts. On, uh... We did not get abused this week, so um, <laughs> yeah, um, it, it was a good, it was a quiet week. Uh, just you know, a lot of player stuff. Uh, talked to Austin and Nola a bit, and you know, and we got to watch. As the, I think the Egg Chasers, if anyone's listened to that, it's the most rugbyest time of the year. <laughs> That's great. Victor, please take us into our final thoughts, man. Yes, guys. So just a quick reminder. Once again, guys, we're going to be off next week to allow us uh, some extra time to recover from Thanksgiving, which is coming up on the 23rd. Uh, the 23rd of this of this week, now the November. Uh, so we'll be back on air hopefully by next week which is Monday the 4th, maybe the 11th, hopefully not the 11th, but hopefully we'll be good by next week. 
same time, 10 Easter, 7 p.m. Pacific. Um, of course, guys, as usual, like I always say at the end of the show, subscribe to our channel at YouTube called, again, Earful of Their Fancast is the name of the channel. Like us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All those were Ask Earful of Dirt. It add us, of course, to your podcast feed on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Player FN. Leave us a review. By the way, we didn't check this week. I don't know if you guys checked, but I didn't, so I don't know if we have anything. If you put something, we'll talk about it next week, if anything. Also, guys, make sure to call us at our personal numbers. Leave us a voicemail. Number is one seven two zero six hundred two six seven nine. Again, that's one seven two zero six zero zero two six seven nine. Again, drop us that voicemail. Like I said, broadcast live uh, are at ten p.m. Eastern, seven p.m. Pacific time. Obviously, check your local listings, as I say. Uh, once again, thank you. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> Uh, thanks, thanks again to Mr. Pringelli for joining us today. Martin, it's been a pleasure, especially for the fact that I know that you live up in Manhattan, close to Washington Heights and Hudson Gardens, and I'm going to be <laughs> sure to talk about your beautiful building on the corner of 183rd. Whenever I do my tours there, <laughs> I'm not going to mention that. <laughs> you want to just keep like, I don't know why you're at it. Uh, maybe like, uh, security. I'm, 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 I'm just not going to mention the cross streets so and no one is start stalking you. But just know it's 183rd somewhere. Beautiful oh building. Gosh. Do they have social security in the UK, Martin? National insurance, same thing. That, so, well, I mean, social security is more of a pension. Yeah, well, so I, I have a social security number, but you can't have it. Well, I don't want it, but I'm just wondering if there is a system in the UK. But, um, there's a state, there's right. a state, yeah, there's a state pension. Yeah. Okay. Um, thanks again to uh, Martin Pingelli. You can follow him on Twitter. Gelli, uh, he is the U.S. weekend editor of The Guardian. Writes mostly about U.S. politics. Uh, the current uh, chief executive gives him plenty of material via Twitter. He also writes about Coffee. books. And, you know, like I said... Um, a very good rugby writer with probably the biggest platform for a U.S.-based writer. Um, we look forward to having you on again if you liked your time. Pleasure, and, yeah. Uh, Let me know. Uh, with that said, good night, everyone. See you in two Bye. weeks. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Two weeks. Connect with Earful of Dirt anytime. We're on Facebook and Twitter as Earful of Dirt. You can email us at earfulofdirt at gmail.com or call and leave us a voicemail at 720-600-2679. Until next time, for Aaron, Dan, and Victor, I'm Corey. Thanks for joining us. 